Welcome to the Highlands Current Podcast. I'm Chip Rowe, the editor of The Current. In each episode, our reporters will take you behind the scenes as they speak with residents of the Highlands about their interests, passions, and adventures. In 2021, I sat down with Richard Kreitner, who lives in Phillipstown and is the author of Break It Up, Secession, Division, and the Secret History of America's Imperfect Union. It was interesting. We had a letter to the editor in The Current from a reader who was dissatisfied with the political leadership of Putnam County and mused that perhaps Phillipstown should secede from Putnam and join Duchess. And of course, Phillipstown before 1812 had been part of Duchess, so it wasn't so far-fetched. Richard saw the letter, sent me a copy of his book, and of course I had to call him and set up a conversation. He explains how the country came close to falling apart in multiple points in our history and also places his bet on the state most likely to leave. I hope you won't leave before the end. So I did want to ask, I guess, first, how did you come to this topic uh, of succession? I was working at The Nation magazine at the time, preparing for its 150th anniversary, which was in 2015. It was founded in 1865 by abolitionists. Um, And I was the archivist for the magazine. So I was digging into all the cool old archival pieces. And that got me interested in Reconstruction, which got me interested in the Civil War, which got me interested in the American Revolution. It's a whole long story, but that's basically how I got interested in U.S. history. I didn't study it in college. I studied philosophy. And my joke has always been that if I'd studied history, I would have written a book about philosophy. But I, I just got interested in, especially in this period right before the Constitutional Convention, where it looked like the country was really falling apart. That's something that I hadn't been aware of. You know, usually the way we're all taught it in school or really even discuss it publicly is the revolution and the constitution are kind of two parts of the same moment and nothing really that important happened between them. But when you look at it, you know, there was very nearly a civil war. The country almost fell apart due to secessionist movements all around the country. So, you know, I want nobody that I could see had ever connected that moment of disunion to the moment of disunion around the Civil War, to what I was already seeing by 2014, 2015, before Trump, looked like a moment of profound disunion for the country now. So I think a lot of writers write the book that they want to read, but it doesn't exist yet. I just wanted a kind of cradle to not quite grave, you know, book about the constant possibility of the country coming apart. Yeah, it's, so, it's interesting because it almost seems, you know, you at the, uh, one point wrote that mounting evidence has shown that the bonds of our union are slowly coming undone. And I feel like that's more the case now than even 2015. I mean, is that, was that surprising to you to see this after seeing the early disunion, you must have naturally compared it what we've seen in the last, you know, six or seven years. Yeah, I mean, it it shouldn't have, but it kind of did surprise me how quickly things happened. You know, by the time that Trump was was nominated and then the book proposal went out to publishers the week of the inauguration, it was pretty clear that something was going on. I had thought at the beginning I would have to make more of a case that, hey, look, it really is quite as serious as all of this. But, you know, history events have kind of made that case for me. Everybody's talking about it now. You know, after Trump won, Democrats were saying, I'm not really sure it's it's worth it anymore. And then flip it, you know, now today it's the opposite. It seems like all we have in common, you know, I write this in the book is, is the desire to have nothing to do with one another. And that, you know, that's reminiscent of periods of, of American history that I write about. So yeah, it's, it's become a lot more real than I expected. Then, then frankly, I'm like, even that, that comfortable with, like, I thought all my work would be like getting people to the point of contemplating it. 
now people are kind of at the point of contemplating it. What would happen to the military? What would happen to the dollar? And it's kind of like I wrote this book to avoid having to write that book because that's like as much harder and frankly less interesting to me. You know, I really, I think that um, 150 years after the Civil War, we're still talking about secession, disunion. That requires to me a whole rethinking of, of American history and a, a questioning of, of, you know, certain assumptions. I think some of it though is, is a lack of knowledge American history that people feel disillusioned now. I mean, I think when you look back at some of the fights that went on when they were basically uh, negotiating who was going to be the next president, throwing out the votes and all that. <laughs> I mean, there have been other times in American history that have, where there's been complete divide between the parties and much in a way, a lot nastier than now. So I try to keep that in mind when I get pessimistic that this is all going to hell. Cause I think we've survived this kind of political disputes in the past, but maybe it's different somehow. I don't know. That's, that's certainly one takeaway from the history. It's, it's not mine though. Like I think a lot of people, as you're saying, see comfort in the fact that we survived worse before and, and surely we will again. Whereas I think if you look at the record, it, it was really kind of up to chance that we did survive you know, really divisive moments, even ones that people forget about, like the War of 1812, where New England wanted to secede from the Union. And it looked like they probably were going to go through with it if the war didn't end just when it did. You know, the Civil War, yes, the, the country stayed together, 800,000 people died. Um, and then the country was reunited on the, the basis of, of white supremacy, basically, you know, without which it, it probably couldn't have stayed together at all. So, you know, you have to look at... Um, what were the factors that did hold the country together? And are they, you know, are those things that we're willing to kind of submit to today? I, I feel like there's this kind of compromised tradition where we're just going to postpone the difficult and divisive questions of American politics for another day. So we'll have Jim Crow for 50 years because we just don't want another war, you know? But, you know, that, that became untenable around, you know, the middle of the 20th century and in a way that's kind of upended American politics ever since. And I see us today, you know, I write in the book, we have to finish the work of reconstruction or give up on the union entirely. I think we're kind of out of options now for compromising away all of these difficulties and disagreements. So just, you know, I, I have a somewhat more not necessarily pessimistic take on it because I think there's, you know, perhaps a world in which the end of the United States leads to something better. Um, I have my doubts about that, serious doubts. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but I do think that a kind of a cold, sober look at American history suggests that it was never inevitable. It was going to be created in the first place. It was never inevitable. It was going to survive. And it, and it still isn't, you know, nothing lasts forever. Yeah. And it's interesting because people do, I think, assume that it will just go on. How could anything else, you know, it's the greatest political experiment in history, blah, blah, blah. So you, you do think that people don't think about how it would end. There's, there's a quote in the book from a guy named George Stewart. I mentioned actually George Stewart in the other stuff about the, the place names, yeah. but you know, he, he writes in his book, um, which is like a kind of formative book for me about the name of the country itself, the United States of America. And he says that, you know, it, it's talking about something that was cobbled together, but implied in that is the possibility of it's coming apart. So in the name itself is this hint of the possibility of, of secession and disunion, which I think is really interesting. There's probably not room to go into this, but the guy who gave it the name, the United States of America was John Dickinson, who was a leader of the early revolutionary movement, but come 1776 is the only guy to refuse to sign the Declaration of Independence, the only delegate at the Continental Congress. And he specifically says why he refused to sign it, because we weren't united. And he, did, he thought the country would fall apart into a civil war 
if they declared independence from England without forming their own confederation, which had proven an extremely difficult task. Um, cause again, they, they had very little in common with each other. So that's what I like to do just all throughout the, the, the history is to find these, these moments and these, these, you know, buzzwords that seem to suggest a certain unity. But if you actually dig into the real story, they reveal the opposite. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the civil war, it always seems the argument comes up, the cause of it, the cause of the dissolution and is, uh, on the North you have, it's, you know, clearly slavery and the South saying it had nothing to do with slavery. And I wondered if you had reached any conclusions just from the reading you had done and focus on, on the historical documents and that kind of thing, what role it played. Sure. I mean. It's so much more complicated than people usually make. Of it, course. You know, you have to all constantly emphasize that it was about slavery simply because those who are suggesting it wasn't usually have these all like mercenary motives, often, you know, kind of racist adjacent, you know, ideologies that, that have to be resisted at any cost. That said, it was also about secession and it was also about states' rights. That doesn't mean the Confederates were sincere believers in that ideology because just a few years earlier, you know, with the Fugitive Slave Act, they were perfectly happy to trample on the state's rights of the, of, of the North. So certainly slavery is at the center of all of that. I, I also want to argue, though, that the anti-slavery movement was a major cause of the Civil War. That's, you know, for a couple of years was kind of a taboo idea because right after the war, the abolitionists were blamed for having started it kind of unnecessarily. I think they should be credited for starting it, for saying that either slavery can survive or the union, you know, one or the other, you have to choose. So my story about the 1850s is all about this Northern movement for states' rights, even for some of them for secession, if the country kept going in a pro-slavery direction. And it's that anti-slavery movement that really riles up the South and makes them scared that they no longer have a place in the union or will never, no longer have control over the federal governments. I read at one point in the book, like that we should be proud that there was a civil war that ended slavery, not, not ashamed of it. And once, once you take that position, you have to start to question, like, what are we tolerating today for the sake of union, for the sake of unity that we shouldn't be. If you had to place a wager, which would be the first state to secede? I'm thinking, is it Texas? California? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it may be not just based on where there's the most chatter or they use it politically, like in a lot of the Texas politicians. Yeah. I mean, if it was to happen in one state at one time, I think you'd have to go with Texas, which has the history that they like to draw on of having been an independent country for a decade. They've got what they at least perceive as just, just causes. And most importantly, they've got the guns, you know, but that said, I think it's important to, to note that I think it's unlikely to be one state leaving at one time. I think it's more likely that the whole thing just kind of crumbles at once because either you have a, a power vacuum at the federal government because of some kind of crisis, or you have a constitutional crisis after a presidential election where there's two pretenders to the presidency and the states kind of split up into different groups. You know, I think it's more likely to be a, a more complicated kind of event and that the crisis is likely to come before the secession rather than after. So I would think it would be based on a civil issue such as abortion, or that's not going to split the country. I think it'll be in the mix, but it's not going to yeah. be just Supreme Court issues one decision that then, you know, splits the country. I think it's likely to be, as it was in 1860, the result of a presidential election that one side feels either didn't go its way or was stolen from it, you know, which is a situation that might be closer than we might like. The, the, yeah. the other possibility is, you know, I wrote a piece for the Times about this in April 
of 2020, right in the beginning of COVID, there was um, all these governors kept forming regional coalitions, if you recall, in the Northeast and the Midwest and on the West Coast to coordinate lockdown policies, the purchase of protective equipment because Trump kept having his, his, his soldiers like steal masks and stuff from governors. You know, and that suggested to me the possible shape of some kind of new federal arrangement, which might not be a breakup of the country, might be a breakdown into some kind, you know, some kind of regional devolution. And you could have, you know, in, 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 in the age of catastrophic climate change, where there's all these emergencies, and that's not the last time we're going to have a totally AWOL federal government, you know, you might have these kinds of regional partnerships step up to take some of the, the power and the responsibility from the federal government. And that over time, maybe, you know, over a century leads to some kind of withering away of, of the federal structure is another way it might happen. Well, I think when you talk about secession, the civil war is what people obviously think of first. And it struck me that you wrote that, that, which I guess is the theme of the book, is that that's, it's uh, not an exception. I mean, you had said earlier, this started almost from the beginning of the country, people saying, I don't, I want to break away from what, right. but you found it, I mean, throughout our history. It's um, evidence even before the country itself is formed, you know. I argue that that's the reason why it takes 150 years for the colonists to form a union in the first place, because they wanted nothing to do with one another. You know, the pilgrims, I, I started my book in a very conventional way with the pilgrims in 1620, who didn't call themselves pilgrims, but separatists, because they wanted to secede from the Church of England. You know, there's separatism right at the very, very beginning of the colonial settlement. And then afterwards, they, they just keep leaving their towns to form new ones. Each town is basically an act of secession. And disunion, you know, is, is basically the, the natural state of things in the American colonies. And anybody who proposes it is deemed a, basically a threat to their liberties that they, that, they, that they love so much. And then once the country is formed, I argue that that vulnerability continues to exist. And nobody is ever really quite sure that they want the country to, to go on. Some people who at one moment say writing the Constitution are strongly for a national government, as soon as they lose power a decade or two later, turn just as sharply against it, which to me helps explain why you have so-called nationalists storming the halls of the national legislature one year ago. You know, people's patriotism turns to secessionism rather easily um, once they feel that they've lost control of, of, of the government. And there's something similar today, I think, where after every election, it just gets louder and louder. It goes from one side to the other, and, and each side pretends Oh, you want us to see? That's treason. But then when they lose the election, they have their own doubts. You just describe uh, the American character. That, <laughs> exactly. There's something you know profoundly separatist about you know picking up your ball and, and and going home. It's just hard to imagine what it would look like. I mean, would we have four city states, countries, you know, in the same geography? Yeah, I mean, or again, the questions I try to avoid, but uh, but you know, I think I, I think more. I think probably like eight eight regions or 10. I mean, that's my idea. Like, you know, dream world that'd be pretty difficult to achieve would be like eight to 10 regions. So we're not actually ending the United States. We're just kind of rejiggering it. And those regions would take most of their, most of the power from the federal government and from the states. You know, unlike a lot of kind of right-wing secessionists, I don't have much love for the states, which are just kind of arbitrary creations of 18th century kings and 19th century railroad barons, you know, um, I, I don't think there's anything so like holy about Delaware that it needs its state's rights or something. But I think that regions would perhaps be a more democratic and accountable way to, to arrange our federal system. But, but I mean, you know, sticking together for, for fear of what might happen if we break apart is, um, 
you know, not the, my definition of a, of a healthy marriage. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for listening to the Highlands Current Podcast. This episode was produced by Zach Rogers and recorded and edited by Johnny Taylor of Beacon AV Lab. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, leave us a review on your listening app of choice, and consider becoming a member of The Current. The paper and website and this podcast are offered free to the community, paid for with support from our readers and listeners. To join for as little as $24 annually, visit highlandscurrent.org join. That's highlandscurrent.org join. Or catch up anytime on the latest news at highlandscurrent.org or pick up a copy of the print paper every Friday. Thanks again. I'm Chip Rowe, editor of The Current, and we'll see you next time.